0: THE COMING INSURRECTION From whatever angle you approach it, the present offers no way out. This is not the least of its virtues. From those who seek hope above all, it tears away every firm ground. Those who claim to have solutions are contradicted almost immediately. Everyone agrees that things can only get worse. The future has no future is the wisdom of an age that, for all its appearance of perfect normalcy, has reached a level of consciousness in the first punks. The sphere of political representation has come to a close. From left to right, it's the same nothingness striking the pose of an emperor or a savior, the same sales assistants adjusting their discourse according to the findings of the latest survey. Those who still vote seem to have no other intention than to desecrate the ballot box by voting as a pure act of protest. We're beginning to suspect it's only against voting itself that p- people continue to vote. Nothing we're being shown is adequate to, to the situation, not by far. In its very silence, the populace seems infinitely more mature than all these puppets bickering amongst themselves about how to govern it. The ramblings of any Belleville Shidane contain more wisdom, wisdom than all the declarations of our so-called leaders, The lid on the social kettle is shut triple-tight, and the pressure inside continues to build. From out of Argentina, the specter of que se vayan todos is beginning to seriously haunt the ruling class. The flames of November 2005 still flicker in everyone's minds. Those first joyous fires were the baptism of a decade full of promise. The media fable of, quote, Banu versus the Republic, Unquote, may work but what it gains in effectiveness it loses in truth fires were lit in the city centers but this news was methodically suppressed whole streets in Barcelona burned in solidarity but no one knew about it apart from the people living there and it's not even true that the country has stopped burning many different profiles can be found among the arrested with little that unites them besides hatred for existing society not class, race, or even neighborhood What was new wasn't the, quote, Banu revolt, since that was already going on in the 80s, but the break with its established forms. These assailants no longer listened to anybody, neither to their big sisters and big brothers, nor to the community. Organizations charged with overseeing the return to normal, Ah, uh, neither listened to No, quote, SOS racism could sink its cancerous roots in this event, whose apparent conclusion can be credited only to fatigue, falsification, and the media omerta. This whole series of nocturnal vandalisms and anonymous attacks, this wordless destruction, has widened the brief between politics and the political. No one can honestly deny the obvious. This was an assault that made no demands, a threat without a message, and it had nothing to do with, quote, politics. One would it be oblivious to the autonomous youth movement of the last 30 years not to see the purely political character of this resolute negation of politics. Like lost children, we trash the prized trinkets of a society that deserves no more respect than the movement of Paris at the end of the bloody week, and knows it. There will be no social situation, solution to the present situation, First, because the vague aggregate of social milieus, institutions, and individualized bubbles is called, with a touch of antiphrasis, society, unquote, it has no constituency. Second, because there's no longer any language for common experiences, and we cannot share wealth if we do not share a language. It took half a century of struggle around the Enlightenment to make the French Revolution possible. An century struggle around work to give birth to the fearsome, quote, welfare state, unquote. Struggles create the language in which a new order expresses itself, so there is nothing like that today. Europe is now a continent gone broke that shops secretly at discount stores and has to fly budget airlines if it wants to travel at all. No, quote, problems, unquote, framed in social terms, admit of a solution. The questions of, pensions of job security of the young people and their quote violence can only be held in suspense while the situation in these words serve to cover up is continually policed for signs of further unrest. Nothing can make it an attractive prospect to wipe the asses of pensioners for minimum wage Those who have found less humiliation and more advantage in a life of crime than in sweeping floors will not turn in their their weapons, and prison won't teach them to love society. Cuts to the monthly pensions will undermine the desperate pleasure-seeking of hordes of retirees, making them stew and splutter about the refusal to work among an even larger section of youth. And finally, no guaranteed income granted the day after a quasi-uprising will be able to lay the foundation of a new new deal, a new pact, a new peace. The social feeling has already evaporated too much for that. As an attempted solution, the pressure to ensure that nothing happens, together with police surveillance of the territory, will only intensify. The unmanned drone that flew over San St. Denis last July 14th, as the police later confirmed, presents a much more vivid image of the future than all the fuzzy, humanistic projections. That they were careful to assure us that the drone was unarmed gives us a clear indication of the road we're headed down. The territory will be partitioned into ever more restrictive zones, highways built around the borders of, quote, problem neighborhoods, unquote, already formed invisible walls closing off those areas off from the middle class divisions. Whatever defenders of the Republic may think, the control of neighborhoods, quote, by the community, is manifestly the most effective means available. The purely metropolitan sections of the country, the main city centers, will go about their opulent lives in an ever more crafty, ever more sophisticated, ever more shimmering deconstruction. They will illuminate the, int- the whole planet with their glaring neon lights, as the patrols of the BAC and private security companies, as paramilitary units, proliferate under the umbrella of an increasingly shameless judicial protection. The impasse of the present, everywhere in evidence, is everywhere denied. There will be no end of psychologists, sociologists, and literary hacks applying themselves to the case, each with a specialized jargon from which the conclusions are especially absent. It's enough to listen to the songs of the times the asinine alt-folk, where the petty bourgeois dissect the state of its soul next to declarations of war from Mafia K1 Fry, to know that a certain coexistence will end soon, that a decision is near. This book is signed in the name of an imaginary collective. Its editors are not its authors. They are content merely to introduce a little order into the commonplaces of our time collecting some of the murmurings around barroom tables and behind closed bedroom doors. They've done nothing more than lay down a few necessary truths, whose universal repression fills psychiatric hospitals with patients and eyes with pain. They've made themselves scribes of the situation. It's a privileged feature of radical circumstances that a rigorous application of logic leads to revolution. It's enough just to say what is before our eyes, and not to shrink from the conclusions. The coming Insurrection First Circle I am what I am. First Circle I am what I am. I am what I am. This is marketing's latest offering to the world. The final stage in the development of advertising, far beyond all the exhortations to be different, to be oneself and drink Pepsi. Decades of concepts in order to get where we are. To arrive at pure tautology. I equals I. He's running on a treadmill in front of the mirror in his gym. She's coming back from work. Behind the wheel of her smart car. Will they meet? I am what I am. My body belongs to me. I am me. You are you. And something's wrong. Math personalization individualization of all conditions, life, work, and misery, diffuse schizophrenia, rampant depression, atomization into fine, paranoiac particles, hysterization of contact, the more I want to be me, the more I feel an emptiness, the more I express myself, the more I am drained, the more I run after myself, the more tired I get, we cling to ourself like a coveted job title. We've become our own representatives in a strange commerce, guarantors of a personalization that feels, in the end, a lot more like an a- amputation. We ensure ourselves the point of bankruptcy with a more or less disguised clumsiness. Meanwhile, I manage the quest for self, my blog, my apartment, the latest fashionable crap, relationship dramas, who's fucking who, whatever prosthesis it takes to hold on to an I. If society hadn't become such a definitive abstraction, then it would denote all the existential crutches that allow me to keep dragging on the the ensemble of dependency I've contracted as a price of my identity. The handicapped person is a model citizen of tomorrow, it's not without foresight that the associations exploiting them today demand that they be granted a subsistence income. The injunction everywhere to be someone maintains the pathological state that makes the society necessary. The injunction to be strong produces the very weakness by which it maintains itself, so that everything seems to take on a therapeutic character even working, even love. All those how's it goings that we exchange give an impression of a society composed of patients taking each other's temperatures. Sociability is now made up of a thousand little niches, a thousand little refuges where you can take shelter, where it's always better than the bitter cold outside, where everything's false. Where everything's false since it's all just a pretext for getting warmed up, where nothing can happen since we're all too busy shivering silently together. Soon the society will only be held together by the mere tension of all the social atoms straining towards and in the cure. It's a power plant that runs as turbines on a gigantic reservoir of unwept tears, always on the verge of spilling over. I am what I am... Never has the domination found such an innocent-sounding slogan. The maintenance of the self in a permanent state of deterioration, in a chronic state of near-collapse, is the best-kept secret of the present order of things. The weak, depressed, self-critical, virtual self is essentially that endlessly adaptable subject required by the ceaseless innovation of production. The accelerated obsolescence, of technology is the constant overturning of social norms and generalized flexibility. It is, at the same time, the most voracious consumer and, paradoxically, the most productive self, the one that will most eagerly and energetically throw itself into the slightest project, only to return later to its original larval state. What am I, then, since childhood? I've passed through a flow of milk, smells, stories, sounds, emotions, nursery rhymes, substances, gestures, ideas, impressions, gazes, songs, and foods. What am I, tied in every way to places, sufferings, ancestors, friends, loves, events, languages, memories, to all kinds of things that obviously are not me everything that attaches me to the world, all the links that constitute me, all the forces that compose me, don't form an identity, a thing displayable on cue, but a singular shared living existence, from which emerges at certain times and places that being, which says, I. Our feeling of inconsistency is simply the consequence of this foolish belief in the performance of the self and of the little care we give to what makes us what we are. It's dizzying to see Reebok's I am what I am and thrown atop a Shanghai skyscraper. The West, everywhere, rolls out its favorite Trojan horse, the exasperating antimony between the self and the world, the individual and the group between attachment and freedom. Freedom isn't the act of shedding our attachments, but the practical capacity to work on them, to move around in their space, to form or dissolve them. The family only exists as a family, that is, as a hell for those who've quit trying to alter its debilitating mechanisms, or don't know how to. The freedom to uproot oneself has always been a phantasmic freedom. We can't rid ourselves of what binds us without at the same time losing the very thing to which our forces would be applied. I am what I am, then, is not simply a lie, a simple advertising campaign, but a military campaign, a war cry directed against everything that exists between beings, against everything that circulates indistinctly, everything that invisibly links them, everything that prevents complete desolation, against everything that makes us exist and ensures that the whole world doesn't everywhere have the look and feel of a highway, an amusement park, or a new town, pure boredom, passionless but well-ordered, empty, frozen space where nothing moves apart from registered bodies, molecular automobiles, and ideal commodities. France wouldn't be the kind... The land of anxiety pills that it's become, the paradise of antidepressants, the mecca of neuroses, if it weren't also the European champion of hourly productivity. Sickness, fatigue, depression can be seen as the individual symptoms of what needs to be cured. They contribute to the maintenance of the existing order, to my docile adjustment to idiotic norms, and to the modernization of my crutches. They specify the selection of my opportune, compliant, and productive tendencies, as well as those that must be gently discarded. It's never too late to change, you know. But taken as facts, my failings can also lead to this dismantling of the hypothesis of the self. They then become acts of resistance in the current war. They become a rebellion and a force against everything that conspires to normalize us, to amputate us. The self is not something within us that is in a state of crisis. It is the form they need to stamp upon us. They want to make ourselves something sharply defined, separate, accessible in terms of qualities, controllable. When in fact we are creatures among creatures, singularities among similars, living flesh, weaving with the flesh of the world. Contrary to what has been repeated to us since childhood, intelligence doesn't mean knowing how to adapt. Or if if that is a kind of intelligence, it's the intelligence of slaves. Our inadaptability, our fatigue, our only problems from the standpoint of what aims to subjugate us. They indicate, rather, a departure point, a meeting point for new complicities. They reveal a landscape more damaged, but infinitely more sharp, shareable, than all the fantasy land that society maintains for its purposes. We are not depressed. We're on strike. For those who refuse to manage themselves, depression is not a state, but a passage a bowing out, a sidestep towards apolitical disaffiliation. From then on, medication and the police are the only possible forms of consolation. This is why the present society doesn't, help, doesn't hesitate to impose Ritalin on its overactive children or to strap people to lifelong dependence on pharmaceuticals, and why it claims to be able to detect behavioral disorders at age three because everywhere the hypothesis of the self is beginning to crack. Second circle, entertainment is a vital need. A government that declares a state of emergency against 15-year-old kids, a country that takes refuge in the arms of a football team, a cop in a hospital bed complaining about being the victim of, quote, violence, a city councilman, councilwoman, issuing a decree against the building of tree houses. Two ten-year-olds in Cheles charged with burning down a video game arcade. This era excels in a certain situation of the grotesque that seems to escape it every time. The truth is that the plaintive, indignant tones of the news media are unable to stifle the burst of laughter that welcomes these headlines. A burst of laughter is the only appropriate response to all the serious, quote, questions posed by news analysts. To take the most banal, there is no, quote, immigration question. Who still grows up where they were born? Who lives where they grew up? Who works where they live? Who lives where their ancestors did? And to whom do the children of this era belong, to television or their parents? The truth is that we have been completely torn from any belonging. We are no longer from anywhere, and the result, in addition to new disposition to tourism, is an undeniable suffering. Our history is one of colonizations, of migrations, of wars, of exiles, of the destruction of all roots. It's the story of everything that has made us foreigners in this world, guests in our own family. We have been expropriated from our own language by education. From our songs by reality TV contests, from our flesh by mass pornography, from our city by the police, and from our friends by wage labor. To this we should add, in France, the ferocious and secular work of individualization by the power of the state that classifies, compares, disciplines, and separates its subjects starting from a very young age, that instinctively grinds down any solidarities that escape it until nothing remains except citizenship, a pure, phantasmic sense of belonging to the republic. The Frenchman, more than anything else, is the embodiment of the dispossessed, the destitute. His hatred of foreigners is based on his hatred of himself as a foreigner. The mixture of jealousy and fear he feels toward the cités expresses nothing but his resentment for all he has lost. He can't help envying those so-called problem neighborhoods, where there still persists a bit of communal life, a few links between beings, some solidarities not controlled by the state, an informal economy, an organization that is not yet detached from those who organize. We've arrived at a point of privation, where the only way to feel French is to curse the immigrants and those who are more visibly foreign. In this country, the immigrants assume a curious position of sovereignty. If they weren't here, the French might stop existing. France is a product of its schools, and not the inverse. We live in an excessively scholastic country where one remembers passing an exam as a sort of life passage where retired people still tell you about their failure 40 years earlier in such-and-such an exam and how it screwed up their whole career, their whole life. For a century and a half, the national school system has been producing a type of state subjectivity that stands out amongst all others. People who accept competition on the condition that the playing field is level, who expect in life that each person be rewarded as in a contest according to their merit. Who always ask permission before taking, who silently respect culture, the rules, and those with the best grades. Even their attachment to their great critical intellectuals and their, their rejection of capitalism are branded by this love of school. It's this construction of subjectivities by the state that is breaking down every day a little more with the decline of the scholarly institutions. The reappearance, over the past 20 years, of a school and a culture of the street, in competition with the school of the Republic and its cardboard culture, is the most profound trauma that French universalism is presently undergoing. On this point, the extreme right is already reconciled with the most virul- virulent left. However, the name Jules Ferry minister of theirs during the crushing of the commune and theoretician of colonization should itself be enough to render this institution suspect. When we see teachers from some citizen's vigilance, vigilance committee come in the evening news to whine about someone burning down their school, we remember how many times as children we dreamed of doing exactly this. When we hear a leftist intellectual blabbering about the barbarism of groups of kids harassing passerby in the street, shoplifting burning cars, and playing cat and mouse with riot police, we remember what they said about the greasers in the 50s, or better, the Apaches in the Belle Epoque. The generic theme, Apaches, writes a judge at the CN Tribunal in 1907 has for the past few years been a way of designating all dangerous individuals, enemies of society without nation or family, deserters of all duties ready for the most audacious confrontations, and for any sort of attack on persons and properties. These gangs who flee work, who adopt the names of their neighborhoods, and confront the police are the nightmare of the good individualized French citizen. They embody everything he has renounced, all the possible joy you will ever experience. There is something impertinent about existing in a country where a child singing as she pleases is inevitably silenced with a stop, you're going to stir things up, where scholastic castration unleashes floods of pulse-policed employees. The aura that persists around Mestrine has less to do with his uprightness and his audacity than with the fact that he took it upon himself to enact vengeance on what we should all avenge, or rather, of what we should avenge directly, when instead we continue to hesitate and defer endlessly. Because there is no doubt that in a thousand imperceptible and uncover, undercover ways, in all sorts of slanderous remarks, in every spiteful little expression and venomous politeness, the Frenchman, the Frenchman continues to avenge, permanently and against everyone, the fact that he's resigned to himself to being trampled over. It was about the time that fuck the police replaced yes sir officer. In this sense, the unnuanced hostility of certain gangs only expresses in a slightly less muffled way, the poisonous atmosphere, the rotten spirit, the desire for a salvational destruction in which the country is completely consumed. To call this population of strangers in the midst of of which we live society is such an usurpation that even sociologists dream of renouncing a concept that was, for a century, their bread and butter. Now they prefer the metaphor of a network, to describe the connection of cybernetic solitudes, the intermeshing of weak interactions under names like colleague, contact, buddy, acquaintance, or date. Such networks sometimes condense into a milieu where nothing is shared but codes and where nothing is played out except the incessant recomposition of identity. It would be a waste of time to detail all that which is agonizing the existing social relations. They say the family is coming back, that the couple is coming back. But the family that's coming back is not the same one that went away. Its return is nothing but a deepening of the reigning separation that it serves to mask, becoming what it is through this masquerade. Everyone can testify to the rations of sadness condensed from year to year in family gatherings the forced smiles, the awkwardness of seeing everyone pretending in vain, the feeling that a corpse is lying there on the table, and everyone acting as though it were nothing. From flirtation to divorce, from cohabitation to families, everyone feels the insanity of the sad family nucleus, but most seem to believe that it would be sadder still to renounce it. The family is no longer such, so much suffocation of maternal control or the patriarchy of beatings as it is this infantile abandon to a fuzzy dependency where everything is familiar, this carefree moment in the face of a world that nobody can deny is breaking down, a world where, quote, becoming self-sufficient is a euphemism for having found a boss. They want to use the familiarity of the biological family as an excuse to eat away at anything that burns passionately within us, and, under the pretext that they raised us, make us renounce the possibility of growing up, as well as everything that is serious in childhood, is necessary to preserve oneself from such corrosion. The couple is like the final stage of the great social debacle. It's the oasis in the middle of the human desert. Under the auspices of intimacy, We come to it looking for everything that has so obviously deserted contemporary social relations. Warmth, simplicity, truth, a life without theater or specter. But once the romantic high is passed, quote, intimacy strips itself bare. It is itself a social invention. It seeks the language of glamour magazines and psychology. Like everything else, it is bolstered with so many strategies to the point of nausea there is no more truth here than elsewhere here too lies and the laws of estrangement dominate and when by good fortune one discovers his truth it demands a sharing that, believe, that believes the very form of the couple what allows beings to love each other is also what makes them lovable and ruins the utopia of autism for two in reality the decomposition of all social forms is a blessing it is for us the ideal condition in a wild massive experimentation with new arrangements, new fidelities the famous quote parental resignation unquote, has imposed on us a confrontation with the world that demands a precocious lucidity and foreshadows lovely revolts to come in the death of the couple, we see the birth of troubling forms of collective effectivity. Now that sex is all used up in masculinity and femininity parade around us in such moth-eaten clothes, now that three decades of non-stop pornographic innovation have exhausted all the allure of transgressions and liberation, we count on making that which is unconditional in relationships the armor of a political solidarity as impenetrable to state interference as a gypsy camp. There is no reason that the interminable subsidies that numerous relatives are compelled to offload onto their proletarianized progeny can't become a form of patronage in favor of social subversion. Quote, Becoming autonomous, unquote, could just as easily mean learning to fight in the street, to occupy empty houses, to cease working, To love each other madly and to shoplift...